Today is um, November 6, 2016. <clears throat> the title of today's message is Promises, Promises, Promises. I have notes in front of me. I'm actually just trying to figure out what the Lord has doing here in our midst. Because He's doing something. He's stirring us. I think our attempt at worship here before, as wonderful as it was, I don't think we actually got where we were supposed to go. And I'm a pastor here, so I can just say that with love. Not even in a chastising kind of way. I don't think we got there fully where the Lord wants us to get today. I was reminded as... I was thinking about the disciples rowing across the Sea of Galilee, struggling at the oars, struggling against the wind. I shared this with our Peru team. I was talking to, I had uh, the Brassos in the vehicle with me. I had the Ariases in the, in the vehicle with me. And we were kind of kidding around about those of us who were over 40 and uh, trying to do the work of the Lord and, you know, some of those things. And God quickened it to my heart then, and I want to share it now. They were struggling. They were rowing. They had been rowing for hours. They weren't able to make headway against the wind, against the storm. Jesus shows up. He walks across. He gets in the boat with them. And you know what happens? They are instantaneously on the other side. Let me encourage you. If you're looking at things and seeing impossibilities, we serve a miracle-working God. You know, what, you know what that means? That means if you stay faithful at what you're supposed to do, if you stay faithful at the oars, regardless of the struggle, regardless of the storm, you know what happens? When Jesus shows up, whatever distance you thought wasn't covered, whatever you thought you were behind on, ever, anybody ever felt behind on something? You got a work deadline, you're like, man, I'm behind. What happens? Our tent, uh, we get more and more tense. We get more and more anxious. We get more and more angry. Whatever it is that you do, and what happens is, is we start not being faithful at the oars that where God has put us. When Jesus shows up, he can make up for any lost time that you feel. If you feel like you're wasting time, you've been marking time, good military term or for nerds like me in the marching band, you just mark time. You know what it means? It just means that you're moving, but you're not going anywhere. You're literally marking the time as it goes by. You're watching a clock as it rotates around. Let me encourage you that God can put you where you need to be as long as you stay faithful in Him. What you think that is being lost to time, that's being lost to circumstances, that's being lost to anonymity, no one sees what I'm doing, no one understands what I'm doing, let me encourage you today as an introductory comment to our sermon that wherever you are, if you stay faithful and allow Jesus in where you are, He can make up for that lost time in an instant. The family that you've been hoping to get. The type of life that you want to have in Christ. The service to His kingdom. I can assure you, He can make up for that in no time. You know what's happening to the Vincents in Indonesia? They spent 14 years from the time that the Lord spoke to them until the time that they are now on October 3rd or 4th or whatever that was when they left for Indonesia. You know what's happening? Uh, in one month, they have more things happening in one month there than I've seen most missionaries start off in the first year or two of their ministry. You know what it reminds me of? <laughs> they just kept rowing, and they kept rowing like, Lord, we're not going anywhere. As a matter of fact, I think we're going further away from where we're going. We're supposed to be going this way, 
feels like the wind is pushing us. He says, don't you worry about that. You keep struggling against it. You keep staying faithful, and I'll put you where you need to be. God is making up for any lost time that the Vincents could have ever thought that they would have had. That's good, Pastor. I've never heard them say this. I'm just telling you, when I speak to Brent each week, when I speak to the family, this is, Pastor, well, this is going on, and now we found a house, and now we found a church, and now I'm going to speak in the church. We found someone to live in our home who's, who is an English major, so they can help, we can help them learn English better, and they can help us learn the local language. And on and on and on, just in weeks, in a matter of days, Brent's saying, hey, Pastor Wade, would you pray for us? We need to find a house. This house is going to end in X number of days. Before I can talk to him again in three days, he's like, yep, we found the house. We're cleaning it out. <laughs> really? Amen. All right? Let me just encourage you with that. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 15. This is going to be the primary text for us today. Genesis chapter 15. Last week, Eric, Pastor Eric spoke an incredible message on slaves. That we have become slaves of righteousness. Wednesday we learned of birds of prey and the glory of God. I want to come back and revisit this idea of the birds of prey in the passage, but I want to take it further. Genesis 15, 1. Say there if you're there. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. As he continues to go on here, let's look down in verse 6. Just recapping a little bit of this story before we move forward. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Can you say that about your life? When the Lord has said something to you, can you say, I believed the Lord, and therefore the Lord credited to me as righteousness. Verse 7, he also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. The Lord always has to take you from somewhere else. He has to take you out of something so that he can put you in the land that he intends for you to possess. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Isn't that the question that we often ask ourselves? Lord, I, I know you've said some things. I know that we're praying for a baby like Riley. But how do we know that you're going to heal her, Lord? Because sometimes we're wrong. Sometimes we don't know things. And, and it may seem that we really put our heart towards something and, and it didn't work out. But Lord, how do we know what you are saying? How do we know that we can trust what you're saying? Verse 9, so the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. We talked about this on Wednesday night, so I'm not going to go in depth. Abram brought all these to him, <laughs> brought all these things to the Lord. He cut them in two. He sliced the animals in two. Think about it along the, the spine, in two. And he laid them out before the Lord. But the birds he did not cut in two. Verse 11. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. We talked about on Wednesday night how this is a normal process for believers. You're going to have a holy moment. God is going to be coming in your life. And what happens? You get birds of prey. Now, it's, fun. it's one thing to say birds of prey. Do you know what a bird of prey looks like? Those are big old ugly nasty things. A buzzard. I should, I should have thought about this. I just thought about this now. I, I think 
Uh, you know, you have a gaggle of geese. You have a flock of whatever. You have a colony of ants. <laughs> I think you actually have a committee of buzzards. <laughs> I think that's the true word. It's either a murder or it's a committee, and I can't remember which one it is. I think it's a committee. It really is. There's a, there's a collection that's called that. You have a bird of prey, big old, big old. David Hall let me know that he was driving home after the sermon the other day, maybe the next day, and he saw a big old, like a two-foot buzzard. Those things are ugly. you got to, like, grab your kids and pull them close. <laughs> grab your wife, pull her close, too, because this thing can fly off with them. These birds of prey are nasty, and you've got to drive them away. These errant thoughts, these stray thoughts, these stray things that you allow in your heart, that, that truthfully, they're just coming and you have to drive them out. You know what we're not going to do? We're not going to be a church that's, um, that's overrun with people being jealous of one another. Those are birds of prey that we're just not going to put up with. We're, we're going to actually believe the best in people. We're going to hold each other more highly than we even hold ourselves. I'm going to esteem you better than I esteem myself. You know why? Because that's what the Word tells me to do. So I'm going I'm to enjoy this, and we're going to drive those birds of prey away. Let's look at verse 12. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep. Everybody say deep sleep. Deep sleep. And a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Well, that's interesting. This is, still, this is still part of this covenant that God is making with him. This is still under that heading. We're still part of the same story. The sun starts to set. Abram falls into a deep sleep. This is the type of deep sleep that when you look at it, it's the same that you see in Genesis 2 when God calls man, Adam, to fall into a deep sleep. This is the same deep sleep that is actually caused, and it's, to me it's a much lighter version of this. David finds Saul, and it says that David was able to take a spear and a, and a water container because all of the men were deep. God had put them into a deep sleep. Are you a heavy sleeper or a light sleeper? All right, how many of you are heavy sleepers? Like, doesn't matter what's going on, you are dead to the world. How come it's a lot of the men that raise their hands? <laughs> light sleepers? There's some men in there. But I'm just saying, it's a lot of ladies. Just saying, right? It's okay, because God gives sleep to those he loves. But, so, you're going along. I am a deep sleeper. Gone. Dead to the world. We have our little fan that we have in the room just as a noise generator. Bam, I'm out. Right? God caused Abram to fall into a deep, deep sleep. And then what happens? It says, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Well, that's not very pleasant. Why? And we're about to see why it was, a, it was an understanding. There was something that God was about to tell him that is true, that was going to be carried out, but it was a very serious matter. We talked about the glory of God on Wednesday night as well. The glory of God is a weighty thing. <laughs> the idea, um, I had friends and they would always talk about wanting more of the anointing of the Lord in their lives. And I was like, amen, but I want more of God's glory. Because the anointing I feel like I can run around and enjoy and it's a joyous thing and it brings laughter and light and, and love. You're like, amen. You know what the glory of God does? It drops you to your knees. There's, there's something that is... Um, um, that's so serious about God's glory. And that's what we're looking at here. 
a thick and dreadful darkness, this, this sobriety came over him. Verse 13. Then the Lord said to him, I tell you what, let's look, let's look at back at verse 12. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Before we get off of that verse, let's look at Psalm 18 and verse 11. Psalm 18 and verse 11. Say there when you are there. Psalm 18 and 2 Samuel 22 are parallel passages for you. They're parallel passages. They're both from King David. They're both from David, uh, as he's saying at the beginning of chapter 18 in my Bible, it says, For the director of music of David, the servant of the Lord, he sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. This is not even a verse yet. That's just the introduction. We see Psalm 18, and let's look at, let's start in verse 7. The earth trembled and quaked, and the foundations of the mountain shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Come on, isn't that, isn't that a great picture of God? He parted the heavens and came down. Same, same kind of uh, statement that we hear in Exodus. When God heard the cries of his people, and he said, I'm going to come down to rescue you. That is always the direction of his love. It always flows down to us. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. Verse 11, he made darkness his covering. His canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. What is it saying here? We're not used to associating God with something that appears to be dark. But what he's saying, the word here, he made darkness his covering. You know, the word for covering there is the same word that means secret place. He's echoing back to the tabernacle to that Holy of Holies that gets in there, and there's no light in the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant is. It's only God's presence that illuminates it. His covering, the darkness was His covering. It was in the secret place. And we learned on foundation meeting a few, a few weeks ago. What was the covering that was above in that Holy of Holy place? It was a white linen reminding us of the righteous acts of the saints, and there were cherubim enthroned in there. Lord, in the secret place of the Most High, Lord, I will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. This is what he's saying here. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. The word for canopy there is the same word that we get the word Sukkot from. It's his tabernacle. <laughs> David is singing a song unto the Lord because he has delivered him from all of his enemies. And what he's doing is, is you can see the mental processes here through this. He made darkness his covering. He made darkness in the secret place. So that it was only his light of his presence that would illuminate it. His canopy or the tabernacle around him, the booth around him that was covering him. Out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced. With hailstorms, hailstones and bolts of lightning, the Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. Let's go back to Genesis 15. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. 
Verse 13, Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain. Everybody say, Know for certain. You know what the words there are? Yada. But it's not just one time. It actually says it twice. <laughs> yada, yada, right? <laughs> yada, yada. This most intimate type of knowing. He's saying, I want you to know this. And what happens when we use it in the Bible when we do twice? We're getting a full witness. We want you to understand that this is not only important, it's doubly important. In the New Testament, they would have said it this way. Verily, verily, I say unto you. Right? Here he's saying, no for certain, but he's saying, yada, yada. Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. And they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. <laughs> Abram's lifespan was about 175 years. That's a good old age. Let's turn, keep your place here and turn to Exodus chapter 12. Lest we skip over some miracles that the Lord just instructed His people. Exodus chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 31. You there? During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go, and also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise, they said, we will all die. This were after the ten plagues had, had riddled the nation of Egypt. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on the shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. This is why it is customary. That's why unleavened bread is such an important part of the Jewish culture. This is a sign of this, that the yeast wasn't even added. They didn't even have time to add the, the, the special agent that caused the bread to rise. What we know is that oftentimes in the Bible that yeast is a symbol of a sinful nature. It's something that gets in. Actually, what it is, it's a symbol of a catalyst. It's a symbol of a catalyst. Something that gets in and completely alters everything around it. If, you haven't, if you've ever had the real presence of God in your life, you know that it alters everything around you. You know that's why it's so important. The whole picture of the unleavened bread, the festival of unleavened bread, is that you would go through your house to make sure that there was not one speck of leaven. What about you and me in our lives right now? Do you allow leaven to be in your life? Is it okay with you? <laughs> this is not the thing you say in a church, right? Is it okay with you? that you're just getting close enough to the Lord? Is it okay with you that you have places in your life that you know aren't right before the Lord? The truth is, is that with a real believer, you cannot allow those things to be there. As soon as you are made aware of yeast, you know what you do? You go get it and you expel it from your life. You fall on your face before the Lord. You didn't just mess up. You sinned before a mighty God. Shame on us for blaming it on our personalities. Well, I'm... I'm Irish, and so I'm just angry. Really? If you're Irish in here, I, I'm, I just picked that. Okay, all right, Patrick, sorry. My bad. My bad, dude. Right? You just, 
I'm, I'm, just, I'm just this way because someone else made me this way. No, you're a sinner. Stop it. You're sinning before God and you're finding excuses to placate your own conscience. If we really thought about it like this, you didn't lie to someone else. You lied to the God of all creation. You didn't misspeak your true heart. You actually showed your true heart and it's wicked and that's why you don't like it. This is what we have to come before the Lord and say, Lord, <sighs> help me to get rid of every bit of yeast in my life, every bit of leaven that's there. Verse 35, the Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold for clothing. Do you guys understand this? Here it is, right there on the screen for you. Think about this. They were slaves. Never get a day off because you're a slave. You just work until you can't work anymore. And if you don't work hard enough, they'll just beat you. So these are the people that then turn to their captors and say, hey, by the way, since we're leaving your country now and you have no more workforce, can you give us all of your gold and silver while we're at it? That doesn't make any sense. That, that's ridiculous. And it's exactly what happens. Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians. They didn't take it. They didn't steal it. They just asked for it. The Lord had made the Egyptians, the next verse 36, the Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people. And they gave them what they asked for. <laughs> what in the world? So they plundered the Egyptians. It's funny that you have the word plunder and asking in the, same, in the same phrases here. They asked for it and literally gave them everything they had. Hey, we're leaving now? We've been your guest here for 400 years and you've treated us very poorly? Can we have your fine china on the way out? Yes, please. Take our earrings and our pocket watches. Take it all, please, as you go. Please have it all. May God be with you. You know, let's go back to Genesis. Sometimes we look at a passage like Genesis 15 and we're like, oh yeah, because we know later on in the story that it happens. Do you realize how ridiculous some of these things are? You're going to go and I'm going to tell you that your people are going to be slaves for 400 years. And on the way out, you're going to be all right. It's almost like they're rowing and Jesus steps in and they're on the other side where they need to be. They haven't been amassing anything for themselves for 400 years. Bam. There's the wealth of a country in your pocket. Ready? Go ahead and walk out. Incredible. Verse 14, back in Genesis, Genesis 15, 14. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards <laughs> they will come out with great possessions. The Lord's promise came true. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. This is a little bit more complicated. I'm not going to take a ton of time. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Can I encourage you today that just because you see injustices around you, it doesn't mean that God is not taking account of it. It means there's going to be a point when the full measure of the wrath is ready to be poured out on somebody. Problem is, is that our country is getting close to a point where God's full measure of wrath is going to be poured out. 
This church has been proclaiming this for more than a decade now. We're a country who's killed 50 million babies. More than 50 million. It's hard to find justice for the widows and the orphans. We're such a, deprived, uh, a depraved society. If you haven't already voted and you intend to, God help us all because there's not a righteous candidate that we see before us. The Amorites, the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Hold your place here and turn to Joshua chapter 10. Joshua chapter 10. This should be a familiar passage to you. This is where the sun stands still in the sky to give God's people victory. Let's take a look at verse 5 to see who they were getting victory over. Then the five kings of the Amorites. Which kings were these? Five kings of the Amorites. The kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon joined forces. They moved up with all their troops and took up positions against Gibeon and attacked it. Look at verse 12. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, O sun, stand still over Gibeon. O moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. How's that for a bold prayer? Hey, Lord, if the sun goes down here, we're going to be in trouble. We're winning this battle right now, but if this sun sets, I'm not sure what's going to happen. So, Lord, here's what, here's what I need you to do, Lord. I need you to stop the heavens right now for me. I need the moon and the sun to stand still. I need, I need the earth to stop rotating for just a few minutes. And it happens. Let's keep reading. Uh, the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down for about a full day. About a full day. Kind of hard to tell because there was no sun and moon to help him orient that time. About 24 hours, the sun stood still in the sky. <laughs> hey, guys, what do you need the Lord to do for you? How worried do we get? We have a God who's, who can stop the sun in the sky based on the request of his servants. I don't have anything in my life right now that's so pressing that I would need the Lord to stop the sun in the sky. But it is really, really reassuring to me that if I needed that, if that's what was called for because his people needed it, you know what he would do? He could do it again. Take a look at verse 16. Now the five kings had fled and hidden in the cave of Makedah. When Joshua was told that the five kings had been found hiding in the cave, he said, roll large rocks up to the mouth of the cave and post some men there to guard it. Isn't that typical? Your biggest enemies, once God actually shows up and does something, the things that were trying to most intimidate you, that process in your life that you just could not overcome, those sins that so easily entangled you, you know what happens? They get like little chickens. They run and they hide somewhere when God actually starts moving in your life. Look at verse 22. Joshua said, open the mouth of the cave and bring those five kings out to me. 
So they brought the five kings out of the cave, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon. When they had brought these kings to Joshua, he summoned all the men of Israel and said to the army commanders who had come with him, Come here and put your feet on the necks of these kings. Folks, we need to start putting our boot on the neck of the enemy. The God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. These things are designed to be under our feet. Some of us are wrestling with things and we're keeping them before our face. But the truth is, is God's plan is that they be under our feet where they should be, where we are in the point and the position of victory. Let's go back to Exodus 15. Y'all still with me? Exodus 15. Let's start in verse 17. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen. This is actually a different word for darkness here. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen. You know what this makes me think of? All ability that, that Abram had to see on his own, all of his own resources, gone. It's not like the light, the street lights came on for him. He's now standing in what was a moment where God was interacting with him. He was chasing the birds off. God continues to work with him. He falls into a deep sleep. And now the sun sets and darkness falls. A smoking fire pot. Everybody say fire pot. With a blazing torch. Everybody say torch. Appeared and passed between the pieces. Now, this is an incredible moment in human history. This is incredible. So you guys stay with me here. Abram has laid out the sacrifice before the Lord because you know what? It's our place. We are supposed to bring an offering to the Lord. We are not supposed to show up to the Lord empty-handed. We're supposed to lay our lives down before Him. And here we see that the covenant, this is a typical way that a covenant was done. And really what you're saying in these covenants is this. As you cut the animal and you lay it out so that everybody could look at it and you could walk through it, the reason that you're doing this is you're saying, this is such a serious thing. This is more than a contract. This is a covenant. If I cut this thing in half, you lay it out, and you know what you do? You say, if I break this covenant, may what has happened to this animal happen to me. Different than a, than a handshake, right? Different than the legality of a contract. <laughs> We are, in, we are in such a day, it doesn't even matter what contract you do or don't have. We don't even care about your contracts anymore. <laughs> There's a wicked person who's tried to assault this church for a long time now, and you know what? It's over a contract. This is not what God is laying out here. He's saying a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Hold your place here. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 13. Exodus 13, and we're going to start in verse 20. After leaving Succoth, Sukkot, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them. Almost like it's a smoking fire pot. A pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night in a pillar of fire. Much like a blazing torch 
to give them light so that they could travel by day or by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. This is in a seed form that we see it as God is sending this, this blazing fire pot, this smoking fire pot and a blazing torch through the sacrifice. Let's take a look at Isaiah chapter 62. Isaiah 62 and verse 1. Isaiah 62.1 For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet. Till her righteousness shines out like the dawn. Her salvation, like what? Like a blazing torch. The picture here is that God is sending His very presence to Abram. He is sending His very salvation. He's sending His very strength. He's sending who He is to be there with Abram. Turn to Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah is becoming one of my favorite books in the Bible. I, I find myself going back there a lot. And verse 6. Zechariah 12, 6. Say there when you're there. Yeah. On that day, I will make the leaders of Judah like a fire pot in a wood pile, like a flaming torch among sheaves. They will consume right and left all the surrounding peoples, but Jerusalem will remain intact in her place. Do you know what Zechariah was thinking about? He was thinking about Abram. And exactly what God did before Abram, he's saying, what I'm going to do before you, I will cause you to be. When God heals us, you know what we can then do? We can turn and pray and heal other people. You know what happens when, when we allow God to deal with our brokenness? You know what we become? We become ambassadors for Him. <laughs> we become the very thing that we never were. He creates in us a new heart. He creates in us something different. We are old, we are, the old things have passed away and we are a new cre creation. The new has come. Let's, let's turn to Exodus chapter 24. Exodus 24. In Zechariah, we see that he's going to make his people be what he was to them. That is an encouraging thought. God can make you to be to other people what he has been to you. Come on. Maybe I'm putting you to sleep here you got to think about this. What is it that you have needed most from the Lord? God, we needed, your, we needed your healing, Lord. Amen. Lord, we needed you to come in and fix our brokenness. We are broken, messed up people. The repairer of broken walls, yeah, he can come in and cause you to be that. He can cause you to be the one who's been anointed, just like Isaiah 61 says. He's the one that can cause you to be for other people because he's being that in you and you in turn can be that for other people. Exodus 24, look at verse 15. Still on the idea of a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. The glory of the Lord. For six days, the cloud, everybody say the cloud, the cloud. covered the mountain. And on the seventh day, 
God, uh, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. Now listen to this, verse 17. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire. What did it look like to Moses? A cloud. The Lord called to him from the cloud. The Bible describes it as a cloud. But from a different vantage point to the Israelites, the glory of God looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. So which one is it? Is it a cloud or is it a fire? Yes. Yes, it is. So are we fighting? We want to have the, the cloud of God's presence in our life. We want to have your fire. Yes, yes, we do. It's more about the perspective of other people as they look at us, what they're seeing. It's more about our perspective of what we're needing in that moment. Lord, help me find my own flame. Lord, set me on fire for you, God. Consume me. May I be like, the, like what Moses saw in Exodus 3, the burning bush. The thing that made it unique was that it was on fire and not being consumed. Lord, would you cause me to be on fire and yet not expiring? Can you help me be like the three Hebrew children that were on fire but not burned? Lord, I, that's what I want to be with my life because, you know what, I just want to get in that cloud of your presence where I'm no longer basing things on what I can see. You ever been in a really bad fog bank? Just a really bad fog bank. You're driving and you're like, golly, I can't, I got to slow down. I'm still not comfortable. I got to slow down some more. You're, you're at a crawl. Lord, don't let anybody run up on the back. You're, you're, you're nervous because you can't see what's around you. You're not trust, you can't trust in what you see. Huh, maybe that's exactly where we're supposed to be. Where we have a dependency on him going, Lord, I can't see beyond this. But when we're in his presence, we don't care to see anything else. Your presence is here, Lord. We're going to be where you put us. In this same passage, look in verse 12 of Exodus 24. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here. <laughs> come up to where God's presence is and stay in his presence. Back to verse 17 in the same passage. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Come up here and be here. Turn to Revelation chapter 5. We are going somewhere, my friends. Revelation chapter 5. And verse 5. Revelation 5, 5. says this. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Amen for elders speaking into our lives. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. What a, what a glorious thing, right? And he's saying, see, look, I want you to look over here. Hey, everybody look over here. This is what I want you to look at. This is an elder talking to John, saying, Look, see the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's worthy. He can open the scrolls. Next verse. Then I saw a lamb. I thought the elder told him to look at the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is. There are, there are times in the Bible like this where, where there, one, one person is seeing and experiencing a cloud and another person is saying, oh my gosh, Curtis, Carter, you look like you're on fire. And you're like, I don't feel like I'm burning. I just feel God's presence. 
I'm trying to look and find the lion of the tribe of Judah. But you know what happens? From my perspective right now, sometimes I just need to find the lamb. I need to find the one who was sacrificed for me so that I can come close. I will understand the full lion-like qualities of him over the course of time. When I look at the ones whose eyes blaze like fire, I will understand more about his lion-like qualities. Proverbs 28.1, The righteous are as bold as a lion, but the wicked flee, though no one pursues them. Lord, I want to be like that lion, but I can't always wrap my head all the way around that. Lord, show me both the lion and the lamb. Lord, show me both the, the cloud and the fire. Turn back to Genesis chapter 15. The blazing torch, the smoking fire pot, and it passed between the pieces. This is the same, the past word here, the word for past there, is the same that is, is in Exodus when the angel of the Lord passed through to bring judgment upon the nation of Egypt. Verse 18, on that day, ever say on that day. On that day. The Lord made a covenant with Abram. You know what the better translation for this would be? And the Lord cut a covenant. Made a covenant is, a, is an English translation of this. The, the better word, when you look up that word, it's the Hebrew word 3772. Karat, K-A-R-A-T. Reminds me of a diamond, right? Getting cut. It is, it is the very presence of God. He cut a covenant. The animals had to be cut. There always had to be blood that was shed for us to be able to get a covenant with the Lord. A few verses here. Exodus chapter 34. You can tell we're a lot in Exodus today. We're focused in Genesis, but you see, you see it several hundred years later come out in Moses' life. You see it again and again and again. Exodus 34, verse 27. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write down these words, for in accordance with these words, I have cut a covenant with you and with Israel. Psalm 25. Joy, let's just put these up on the screen. You guys can just write these down. We're going we're gonna to move through them. Psalm 25, verse 10. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful. For who? For those who keep the demands of His covenant. The ones who keep the commands of the covenant that has been cut before the Lord. Let's do Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. We'll do 9 through 13. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. Hey, are you, are you with me? Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. The, a king is speaking to the princess. He's speaking to his beloved here. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. Righteousness, uh, righteous and having salvation. Gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt. The foal of a donkey. This is Zechariah. Who is he talking about there? He's giving you an, a glimpse into the Passion Week of Jesus Christ. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, 
because of the blood of my covenant. Because of the covenant that I cut with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Two more verses. Uh, Return to your fortress, O prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. I will bend Judah as I bend my bow and fit it with Ephraim. Fill it with Ephraim. I will rouse your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and make you like a warrior's sword. Let's turn to Luke chapter 22. Let's put that up on the screen. Talking about the covenant. Verse 20. Luke 22, 20. In the same way. Everybody say, same way. way. After the supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. (laughs) I'm cutting a new covenant with you. I'm cutting a new one. I have to offer a sacrifice. What Jesus Christ did on the cross, he's pointing to it and said, This cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator, everybody say mediator, Mediator. of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. One more verse. Revelation chapter 11 and verse 19. It says this. Then God's temple in heaven was opened. What? The temple in heaven was opened. And within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a great hailstorm. God cuts a covenant with us. Turn to Hebrews. Everybody turn to this one. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. Hebrews 6, 13. The best device to help you interpret the Scripture is the Scripture. Verse 13. We're going to find out more about what we were reading about in Genesis 15 here. When God made His promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. You ever done that when you were a kid? I I swear. You you want to really emphasize that you, you swear, I swear that this is the case. God in order for you to understand how serious his promises to us are, swore by himself, because there's no one else higher to swear by, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after, much, so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. What an incredible thought. <laughs> when God promises it, he's going to swear by himself, and it will happen. There's nothing on this wor- in this world that can cause it and keep it from happening. Turn to Galatians. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3, and let's start in verse 15. Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established. So it is in this case. 
once the document has been signed and sealed, you're not supposed to be able to add anything else. You can't add anything to a covenant, even in human terms. Verse 16, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. In the passage that we're reading in Genesis 15, he's saying to you and to your descendants. The way that it's translated, that Hebrew word is zera, means seed or offspring. It is properly translated as descendants. But we see here because of the New Testament, we get a better understanding of it. It's not just to and to your seeds. The promise that God made was always intended to be wrought through your seed, Abraham, which means Christ. Verse 17. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus to do away with His promise. The problem with many of our modern day churches is they're teaching you that the old covenant is done away with versus fulfilled. The promises that God made to Abraham, He will fulfill. There are some that have not yet fully been fulfilled. You know what I know? It means He's going to fulfill it yet in the future. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise. But God in His grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Has God made you promises? There are some promises that God has made us because we are His children. We can read in His Word and find that His promises are true. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, let's start in verse 18. But as surely as God is faithful, stop right there. Here's our problem. We have a hard time really understanding that it's God that's faithful. That He is the one who will fulfill. As surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in Him, in Christ, it has always been yes. His promises are yes. They will come to pass. Not yes and no. Not yes and maybe. Not yes and eh, we'll have to see. His promises are yes. For no matter how many promises God has made. Uh, really? It doesn't matter how many He's made because He is faithful. They are, uh, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through Him, the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set His seal of ownership on us, and put His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. You know what the Lord promised? He promised to move through His Spirit in our lives. He promised that His will would be accomplished. We do not have to look at a state of our society, at the state of our country, and worry, God, do you know those promises you made about those who are faithful? Are you actually going to fulfill them or not? All His promises are yes and amen. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. 
2 Peter chapter 1. Let's start in verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him, who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, through these what? Through these things that He just listed in verse 3. He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature god gives you promises why well because he loves us yes but so that we can participate in a divine nature his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness there is nothing that you lack when you are in him his promises are yes and amen we know these things in our minds don't we there's nothing that I'm saying that should be revelatory to, many, to anyone in the room. I understand that. What I'm trying to do and what I'm praying that God will help us do today is move beyond an understanding. But like our worship said earlier, it'll move from our head to our heart. Amen. Not, I know He'll fulfill His promise. Yeah, but what does that mean for me in real life? And we go away and we forget about His promises. We don't even think about His promises because we don't expect them to come true. And then if somebody gets up in front of you, you're like, yes, all God's promises, they are yes and amen. Yeah, but you don't believe that. We don't believe that all the time. We, we think that what we see is more important than what God's promises have been. We get tired of running the race. You know why we get tired of running a race? Because we don't understand that His promises are a sure thing. They will happen. So the, the point is, isn't whether this promise is going to be fulfilled, but whether I'm going to be there to see it fulfilled. That is where we are at as a church. Are, are you going to be here with us to see the promise fulfilled or not? Are you going to get discouraged and fall by the wayside? Are you going to allow sin to come in and take over your life and not be there? The truth is, is His promise will happen. It will happen. It's got to happen. There is no other choice, but it will happen. Will you be there when it does? Will you fulfill your purpose? The problem isn't His promise to you. The problem is you staying in His purpose. Acts chapter 1. Yeah, I'm going there. Acts chapter 1, verse 4, says this. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Jesus gave this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Last passage, Romans chapter 4. And then we are going to worship and we are going to find a renewed heart to believe that His promises will come true. There's not been one promise from a political campaign that I'm going to hang my hat on. Not one. Not from anybody. Don't care what party they're in, not going to believe it. I am placing my whole existence on the fact that what God has promised will come true. If I'm going to fail, it's because I am failing to go, God, your promises are true. 
Let every man be a liar, but let God be true. <laughs> Including me. Let me be a liar if my life ever shows that, it, that His promises won't come to me. I'm the liar. I'm the problem, not Him. His ways are just. He is perfect. He is righteous in all He does. You've got problems with people who are having a broken home. You know what? He can fix your home. We can get into His Word. We can get into His Spirit, having weapons of righteousness in our right hand and in our left, and He can heal you. you dealing with cancer or sickness? I don't care because my God's words are true. He is faithful. Whatever the situation, He can come in. I can't tell you how many people have come into this church broken, addicted, messed up in every way. And God's power has revolutionized their life. God is not a respecter of persons. I don't care whether your problem is a physical problem, a mental problem, a spiritual problem, a social problem, a financial problem. I don't care what your problem is. What I want and what you and I both need to do is, is to grab a hold of what God is doing and say, it doesn't matter what my problem is. You have said, you have healing, you have life. I will come to you and my life can change. The people that we see this, the reason that we see this not happen is because people never really grab on. They may say they grab on to the Lord and the truth is, is they're holding on to their sinful ways. You know what happens? You know what it means when we hold on to our sin? It means that we love sin more than we love God. Period. You, you can't make that nice. No, Pastor, you don't know. I just have this issue. You don't got an issue? Pardon the poor grammar there. You ain't got no issue. Your issue is sin. Take it to the cross and be done with that thing. Romans chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, everybody say therefore. therefore. You know what that means in the Bible? Therefore. It means you got to look and see what it's there for. The promise comes by faith. How does the promise come? By faith. by faith in what? By faith in Him. The promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. All. Everybody look up at me. If you're in this room, you're counted in the all. He's trying to talk to you. Not only to those who are of the law, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham. Abraham is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made uh, you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. You ever felt dead in an area? You ever felt like, yeah, whatever, that was a promise that God made, but it, it just can't come to pass anymore? I've let things die in me before. I've let, I've let dreams die. I'm like, hey, that's not, that's not ever going to happen. Guess I was wrong. Guess I really didn't hear from the Lord. God calls the God who gives life to the dead. <laughs> Do you realize the foundational principle of Christianity is life from the dead, right? You can read 1 Corinthians 15 all you want. And it shows you that the power of Christianity is found in the resurrection of Christ from the dead. That is the demonstration of this. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were already happened. Even though you're in the middle of rowing, 
He knows where you're going to be and He can get you there in a heartbeat. Against all hope. Everybody say, against all hope. When God was promising Abram and Ab- Abraham rather that he would be a blessing to the entire world, that a great nation would come from him, from him. Do you know what happened was at that moment? He didn't have any kids. Against all hope, every detail in the natural said, you cannot do this. You cannot be what you're supposed to be. It is impossible. But against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Oh, there it is again. Look at verse 19. This needs to, this is praying that this will cause resurrection in your heart right now. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. He did not look at the details of reality and cause his faith to wane, to cause his faith to decrease. He knew he was 100 years old. He knew, like, hey, man, hey man I'm 100 years old. This ain't going to happen. This thing is dead. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. The dream, doubly dead. Both sides of this thing, however you want to look at it, it's dead. Verse 20, yet he did not waver through unbelief. How could he not waver through unbelief because everything he was looking at was showing him that he wasn't going to be able to do this? As a matter of fact, he was strengthened in his faith. He saw how impossible it was and he went, hey, I'm strengthened in my faith. This is completely impossible. Surely the Lord will do this thing. Being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what He promised. This is why it was credited to Him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to Him, were written not for Him alone, but also for us. Do you know why? Do you know why He could say that it's God that's going to do this? Because when God laid out the sacrifice, when Abram laid out the sacrifice and God sent his blazing fire pot, the smoking fire pot and the blazing torch through it, you know what God was really saying? This is a contract. I'm cutting a covenant with you. But you know what? I'm going to do my part and I'm going to do your part. They were both supposed to walk through the pieces of the animal saying, I will do this and you're doing this. We're covenanting to do this. God says, I got it. I'm going to put you to sleep. I don't need you to fulfill this covenant. I'm making a covenant with you. I'm going to walk through this, and I'm going to tell you that I'm going to keep both sides of this. That's how he was able to say, I'm strengthened in my faith. I wasn't the one that had the strength to cut the covenant in the first place. I couldn't do this on my own in the first place. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to trust that if he came down and made the covenant, then he's the one... He's got to do it anyway. Not only did he cut the covenant by himself, when mankind broke, when mankind broke the covenant, God also paid the penalty. Jesus Christ came. We were the ones that should have had our lives broken in half. We were the ones that should have been that should have been maimed and desecrated. We were the ones that should have been laid open and filleted like an animal. And you know what Jesus said? I'll take that. 
because it's not about you. We're going to worship here. I'm going to read this again to you, and I want this to be the charge for us as we enter into worship. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his face, faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. 